0: International Media Ministries presents dramatic scriptwriting with award winning screenwriter and director Bart Gavigan. Lesson 9 Empathy. But when they sent me scripts, uh, I told you the three questions that would come up in my mind. Okay? So the first question is whose story is this? <coughs> Who is the hero of this story? What does the hero want? And then, why should we care? Why should we care? Why should I care about this person and what they do in their journey? Why should I have empathy uh, for this person? And to, to understand the answer to this question, to, to understand this whole area, you have to understand why people go to the cinema, why people go to theater why people go or read a book, even, uh, but, but especially, I think, the visual arts. Um, the answer often given is people go to be entertained, they go to be educated, and these are all secondary reasons why people go to cinema or theatre. Uh, the real reason people go is to actually have experiences, to have feelings, experiences, to experience a journey. Uh, they don't merely go to ha- watch an actor have these experiences or a hero in a film have these experiences. They go to have them themselves. OK? So before anyone comes into the cinema or the theater, a contract takes place. It's invisible and it's, um, it's not conscious, but it's real nevertheless for all that. And what that contract says is very simple, which is that the the audience say to you as a writer, as a filmmaker, they say, I trust you for the next two hours of life. And here is what I trust. I trust that it's not going to be boring. I trust that you are going to allow me to have these experiences. You are going to allow me to go on a journey which will be fulfilling entertaining, um, ultimately meaningful. And I trust that you're going to provide the vehicle for me to go on the journey. Okay? You are going to provide the gateway I can go through to have this experience. And the gateway, the vehicle, is called the hero. This is the vehicle That traditionally in classic drama you provide for the audience because it is through the hero that the audience experience these things they go on the journey with the hero so his triumphs his reversals are theirs they literally uh, become participants rather than spectators so if you actually write a brilliant film and many people do this where they write a technically brilliant film a wonderful film, where the audience remain spectators and not participants. A, that, man, that film never, it always remains an art house film. That's the first thing. It never finds a wide audience uh, because that's not why people go to, to the arts, in, in the, in the visual arts. Uh, and secondly, it doesn't actually move the audience. The audience admire it. So admiration is quite different from being moved. Okay. What happens when you admire something is actually it never gets beyond here. Okay. And a bit later, after I've talked about empathy, we'll talk about uh, the word emotions in terms of visual arts. And basically, if you can't get to the emotions of your audience, you can't write. So you might as well forget participating in these arts if you can't achieve this. Um, so empathy is a very serious business. Uh, if you fail to achieve empathy, your piece will fail. It will fail to connect with your audience, and your audience will leave the theater or the cinema or whatever not caring about what they've seen, ultimately. Ultimately, and their life will certainly not be changed. And I've explained to you what empathy is, okay? Uh, Empathy is not sympathy, okay? Empathy is not sympathy. It is not uh, a situation where we have to agree with the hero's value system, okay? There are things in Kramer versus Kramer, as, as we mentioned this morning, that we certainly don't agree with, Okay? And uh, even the value system of the neighbor, the, woman who, the, the nice neighbor who is the friend of the wife, she says a whole series of things, okay, about her own sexual life that presumably you don't agree with, okay? Do you remember those statements? Those were the, in, the assumed values in her life, okay? Which is, it's fine, you know, I, I sleep with all these but actually I, I'm thinking of him. Well, what do we think of a value like that? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's presumably not. Our, our worldview of what morally is what we should be about. But you don't have to accept the value system of your hero or even of the other characters because you should have empathy for other characters too. And everything I've said about the hero applies to some degree to your other characters. So I'm talking about the hero, but when we look at other characters you'll see that these things have an application too. So it's not sympathy and it's not approval, but it's empathy, it's understanding. It's understanding the feelings, the thoughts, the choices, the decisions, why the person acts the way they do, makes the choices they do, where they're coming from, okay? And going on that journey with them so that for two hours you in a sense experience life through their eyes, the way they see life, why they make the choices they do. And and that is why um, Your choice of uh, hero is very critical because, remember, uh, once you've chosen the world of the hero, that's fixed. The logic of that world is, like, fixed, and you cannot break the logic of that world. So if your hero is a lawyer in New York, uh, there are certain expectations of the limitations of that world and and how that world works and what he'll be doing, you know, and and how he'll live his life and, and what will the parameters be. So once you've chosen, it's fixed, but you have absolute freedom to choose whoever you want or whatever world you want. But just remember, you, you choose limitation as soon as you make the choice. So, for example, you would have to think very, very seriously about choosing a hero who did not... At least in, in some central way, incarnate the values of your worldview. To actually have a hero who contradicted the values of your worldview might prove very problematic because you're going to be constantly divided from yourself in your writing. Now, as you want to share your worldview, but the main vehicle you're offering to people offers another worldview to people, this is not easy, is it not? Okay. And It's the sort of decision that hopefully you don't suddenly realize you've made without making it. So it should be conscious all the time what, what, what you're doing um, in this way. So empathy is, is a huge word. It is actually uh, really what it is, is. It's like a bonding word where you bond with the character. You bond with the hero. And there are many ways to achieve this. The rule, usually, is you do it quickly. (laughs) Sooner, the better. And the one thing to be aware of, okay, is you better make sure the audience know who the hero is. If you present them with the wrong character, they will bond with that character. And they will not take kindly to you when, 20 minutes into the film, you say, well, actually, no, this is the hero. They say, well, we're already on the journey. We've already bonded with this character. What do you mean that's the hero? We like this guy now. We like this woman now. Why should we move across? So A, the rule is bond early, uh, create empathy early, and B, uh, do not uh, confuse the audience about who your hero is. Sometimes happens. The hero does not have to be a sympathetic character. Do you remember I said empathy is not sympathy? So in Amadeus, Salieri is not a sympathetic character, he's not someone we admire, Uh, he's not someone uh, we particularly take on board his value system, but he's a hero. And when you have a, a character like this who is not sympathetic, you have and a special burden to create empathy. So when you're dealing with a hero like Salieri, then you have an incredible burden to create empathy and quickly. And so they do it brilliantly. Just brilliant. Right down the front, they create empathy for Salieri. And they do it in the madhouse. You know, They do it uh, straight off the bat. They do it in the madhouse in the scene where Salieri is old now. He's an old man. And he's in the madhouse, and the priest comes to see him because he's near to death, you know. And he comes to hear his confession and so on. And uh, Salieri, of course, doesn't have particularly anything to confess. <laughs> That's not what he's there to do in his terms. Uh, and we have this wonderful scene where this man who has given his life to music and who longs to have a gift... Which he never had. Um, he's asking the priest, "Does he know any of his tunes? Does he remember any of his tunes?" And the priest remembers none of them. You know, he doesn't. And finally, Salieri says, "But you know this one," and he hums him a little tune. You know, the priest says, "Yeah, yeah, I know that one." And Salieri says, "Yeah, that's Mozart." So you create empathy. Here's a man, you know, who's you create empathy for, right down the front. And we do. There's a bonding with Salieri at this point. Salieri is a victim at that point. He's a man whose lot in life uh, makes us feel for him. It's very deliberate. Now, what they also are doing in that film that's very, very clever is uh, when you have a hero who is, is like Salieri, they are signaling very early on. They're saying to you, look, here he is. He ends in the madhouse. He got his just desserts. Don't worry about that. You're free to now enjoy Sally Erick, the character, in the knowledge that, yes, he got his just desserts. It's a very interesting, it puts the audience in a superior position, a position of irony, it's called in, in dramatic terms, whereby um, they now have this knowledge, uh, which is withheld from some of the characters in the film. So Mozart never has this knowledge, but the audience have this knowledge. Okay, um, and by doing so the writer very cleverly uh, gets the audience to no longer concentrate on what happens because we know what happens by the end now we can focus on how did this happen, why did this happen he, he in other words is able to put quite a different series of questions in front of the audience that suit his purposes in this particular film because he has a hero who is uh, a very unprincipled man, a very dangerous and deadly man, very evil man in many ways. So so your hero does not have to be a sympathetic character, but the rule is the more unsympathetic the character, the more you have to create empathy for him. You don't have to approve of his values, but the great sin We've talked about the great sin. And the great sin, of course, is boredom. Yes, that's right. Your character, your hero may not be sympathetic, but he better not be bored. <laughs> if he's boring, uh, there is no hope. Here's a key word in the creation of empathy. Contradiction. Your character will be contradictory. Y- your hero will have elements of contradiction in his character. Okay. Shakespeare is a genius at this. Hamlet's a walking contradiction. That's why Hamlet is called the first modern character. In other words, he's just like modern man, <laughs> he's a walking contradiction. It's a comment on our culture and our society. Our society is riddled with contradiction. It's a contradiction that the audience should be moral, yet in life they're not. It's interesting, it's a contradiction. Uh, Macbeth is a famous example that structures like to use. Macbeth is a walking contradiction. He's a mass murderer, he kills children. Uh, but he's racked by guilt, by doubt, and oddly enough, if you took that away from Macbeth, all you'd be left with would be the mass murder and there'd be no empathy. So any empathy we have with Macbeth, the reason we, ca- we stay with the character is actually the contradiction. Do you understand? So contradiction is a very powerful uh, weapon. And why is that so? What, what happens uh, when you have contradiction? What happens when Macbeth is riven with guilt? What happens? What happens in the audience, which is where the only important things that interest you are happening? In the audience, what's happening is they're looking at Matt Beth and saying, he's just like me. See? He's riven with guilt. (laughs) See, he's got doubts, just like me. And this bonding of empathy takes place in a very human way. It's very basic, okay? Um, At the the point of the flaws in the character. He becomes recognisable. He becomes human. Okay, he's no longer just a mass murderer, he's a human being with flaws and contradictions and so on. And uh, as I say, Shakespeare knew all about that. The big word is, in empathy is this, and that word is victim. So you will not have gone many yards into your film before you make your hero a victim, okay? Preferably of injustice. You make him the underdog, you make him a victim of injustice. And that goes a long way to balancing the unsavory nature of his character. So we've just looked at Salieri. Uh, First scene of the film, bang, up. He's a victim of what? (laughs) Mozart's fame. What did we see in Rain Man? His problems with the customs and excise, getting his Ferraris into the country? He's a victim, OK? He's a nasty piece of business, but he's a victim. And so we start to bond with him, OK? We bond with victims. We, it's a very human and natural approach. Um, it's in almost every film you can think of. Gandhi's kicked off the train down the, <laughs> down the front of the film. Working girls, she's being ill-treated at work. Do you remember? She's being pushed around. I mean, and in her personal life, too. Okay? And uh, it's, it's an interesting film, that film. It's not a great film, but it's an interesting film because what we see happening in her, what happens in life, is as she starts to get power, so she starts to behave the way other people have behaved to her. And her great moralist dilemma becomes, what do I do? Is this the price I'm willing to pay to actually have power? And so she has to make a, a moral choice. Unforgiven, this is a tough film. Uh, but again, down the front of this film, what situation is Clint Eastwood in? OK, his situation is as a widower. He's got three children to bring up. And his pigs have all died, a pig farmer. And all his pigs have got the disease. And they're all dying and dead. So this creates empathy. And why you need to create empathy is because this man is going to just slaughter a whole town by the end of the film. So the rule is, if your hero is a mass murderer, you've got to create empathy, OK? Danger. So victim, danger, big word. Place your hero in danger. Uh, because again, the audience will immediately start to bond, will start to feel. Be- why? Because they project themselves into that situation would feel in this situation and that means they already are starting to make the choice if you can get the, uh the audience to project to identify already they are moving through the gateway into the character and are then quite comfortable sitting inside that character for the next two hours and seeing life through his eyes okay and uh, it can be everything from a, a true hero like in high noon Where we know the character's in danger because we know who's turned up in town on his wedding day and and so on, Um, and the forces against him are huge. Uh, We know all that. We can empathise for his situation. We always think, "Good grief! What would happen if a a gang turned up, mob-handed on my wedding day?" We empathise. Okay, (coughs) it's it's not the situation we would like for anyone. Okay. Danger, or it can be an amoral character, like in *The Player*. where' down the front of the player, the Tim Robbins uh, character is receiving death threats. So he's a nasty piece of business, but he's receiving death threats. So it immediately starts to move us towards bonding with him, okay? It's very essential if you're dealing with someone who's not a sympathetic character to start to bond. I'm going to put up three empathetic traits. They're about. 40 major ones, about another 40, 50 minor ones. And I'm going to give you three of them, Okay? I'm just saying this so you actually understand that there's a whole arsenal available to you in terms of empathy. And there has to be, because it's such a key element in your writing. Humor. It's a big, empathetic trait, OK? If you look at the front, say, of Broadway, Danny Rose, or any Woody Allen film, I mean, what the basic root of bonding in these films is humor, OK? Victim a bit, but basically it's humor. It's an empathetic trait. If people make us laugh, we bond with them. We like, <coughs> we, we like this element in people, OK? Another one is goodness goodness you can call this what you like you can call it decency integrity it's an empathetic trait we actually recognize it and like it Uh, I mean you could call it let's give it a powerful name okay so goodness let's make it more powerful let's call it compassion okay Hero who's compassionate—that goes a long way. Okay, this is a very empathetic trait. And then a trait that's very important on the on the level because uh, remember they don't have to be sympathetic. Is good at what they do. That's a big deal. First of all, work always works in film. You know, if you ever show uh, the mechanics of someone's l- job, if it's, if it's interesting, you find what's interesting, that always works. Um, but secondly, if someone's good at what they do, it actually has to do with power. It means they are not powerless in front of the world. And one of the things that your whole audience probably has in common with each other is they feel powerless in a mechanistic world, in a godless, god-forsaken, I'm talking about how they perceive life, world. And so power interests them. <coughs> this is not going to be boring, <laughs> do you understand? It also touches, and it's a very dangerous quality, because it also touches on their desire for power and fantasy, okay? So power uh, has both a dark fascination f- for people as well as a good one. Um, it can be everything from someone like Matt Dillon in Big Town, not a very good film, not one you should see, but who has a gift throwing dice. That's his gift. That's his power. You know? He's good at throwing dice. He has what's called a good arm. To... Um, to a good example, a very wonderful film that you should see and probably have seen, and where you have a, a very interesting hero is In the Heat of the Night. Very interesting structure to this film where Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger, do you remember where the, the, the black character played by Sidney Poitier is stranded in a small town and a murder takes place, and he's initially arrested and fingerprinted and all this, and then to the horror, they discover he's a detective from Philadelphia. <laughs> and they have to deal with all that, and he has to deal with prejudice. But he's brilliant at what he does. And not only does it save his life and the lives of everyone else, you know, but it actually keeps driving the plot. And and we could stay with him for a long time, because he's good at what he does. We know that we're going to be surprised. We know that it's not going to be boring. We know that this is going to be interesting. We're going to learn new things. Uh, As I say again, What I say is true of the hero is true for all your characters. So, other films where, you know, people are good at what they do, they're not the hero, but in Karate Kid, for example, people are good at what they do. Mr. Miguji, or whatever his name is, I can never remember his name, is great at what he does, okay? And he teaches it brilliantly, okay? And unusually. And we find that riveting, you know, we find it riveting that uh, irrespective of the value in other words irrespective of the value of this film irrespective of whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing what he's teaching to actually teach him in this way where he teaches him by making him paint walls and do all these strange things and we say what's the value of this? how will he learn anything by doing this you know, and slowly it emerges that's why I say work true work always works in film